Amen. And the gospel is true. Jesus is a way maker. He is a miracle worker. And he will do a miracle in your heart and in your life when you trust in him. And every time Kevin shares his story about how he came to faith in Jesus, my heart just swells with joy and gratitude for the work of the gospel because that's exactly what God does. God takes broken people who have wandered far away from him and he calls us to trust in his son, Jesus, and all that he accomplished for us in the gospel, that Jesus went to the cross where he took our sin and our shame in which he was buried, but he didn't stay dead. For on the third day, he came back to life, offering eternal life to all who trust in him. This is the gospel. This is why we celebrate Easter, a victorious king who overcame sin, death, hell, and the grave. This is a gospel that is worth celebrating and singing and shouting from the rooftops because of all that God has done for us in the gospel. And it's in the gospel that we see the perfect and permanent love of God. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. If you don't have a, a Bible with you, you can go to the Westwood app and click on the resources button. And there you can click on the Bible app in which you can read the scriptures along with us. The book of Romans is the Apostle Paul's magnum opus. It is 16 chapters of rich doctrine and theology that points us to Jesus and all that he has accomplished for us. It's amazing how it is a, like a bottomless ocean full of treasure just waiting for you and I to explore it. We see back in Romans chapter one, where Paul says all Gentiles, which are people who are not Jewish, all Gentiles are unrighteous. In Romans two, he says all Jews are unrighteous. Romans three, in case you didn't get Romans one and Romans two, the whole world is unrighteous for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then we have some good news in Romans 4, that we can be made right with God through faith. Just look at Abraham. But our faith is not in Abraham, Romans 5. Our faith is in Christ. Paul says in Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, Romans 6, God gives you a new life. And it's a story of what Kevin just shared with us is when you trust in Christ, all things become brand new, old things pass away. Indeed, we have been buried with Christ in baptism. We are raised to walk in newness of life through the faith we have in Christ. But in this new life in Christ, you're gonna struggle. Romans seven, Paul says, I don't do the things that I should and then I do the things that I shouldn't. Oh, what a wretched man that I am. You see, deep in the heart of Paul, there was a wrestling with sin in which he was tired of this struggle against sin. But the good news is God has given us his Holy Spirit, Romans 8. The Holy Spirit gives us power and victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave. Indeed, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, 
Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You see, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that God does a work in the hearts of all who call upon him and believe his gospel. And when we get to Romans 8, we see this great gospel displayed for us, realized in the person and work of Jesus through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I want you to notice these two truths regarding God's love for you, beginning with Romans chapter 8, verse 31. I want you to see first, in Christ, God is for us. Romans chapter 8 Verse 31, the scripture says this. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Paul asks five rhetorical questions in these four verses, teaching the church at Rome how God is for us in the gospel. He asks, verse 31, what are we to say about these things? That phrase, these things, is a reference back to what he's already unpacked earlier in chapter eight, namely the death of Jesus on the cross that makes us righteous before God. You see, through the death of Christ, God has shown us that he is for us. And if God is for us, verse 31, who can be against us? You see, no one can take away your righteous standing before God. Jesus said it like this in John chapter 10, verse 28. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. You see, no one, not even Satan himself, can snatch you out of the omnipotent hand of Jesus. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Paul is unpacking this reality that through the gospel, God is for you. And if Jesus was willing to give his very life for you at the cross, do you think that he would ever let anyone steal what his blood accomplished? You see, the cross is proof of God's love for you. And God has a perfect and permanent love for you. We see the father, verse 32, he did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. You see, at the cross, God the father did not spare his own son, whom he loved, but rather the full wrath of God towards your sin was laid upon Jesus at the cross. You see, at the cross, Jesus cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, it was at the cross that the father turns his back upon the son. For it was there at the cross that Jesus received the full punishment and payment for our sin. 
What you and I deserved, the curse of God was placed upon his son. You see, at the cross, God treated Jesus as we deserve so that we will be treated as Jesus deserves. This is what we celebrate Easter weekend, is what God has done for us in the gospel. That Jesus' death was ugly and awful because your sin is ugly and awful. And all of us are guilty. All of us have chosen sin and self over Christ. No one can raise their hand and say, I'm perfect in all of our ways. And our sin deserves punishment before a holy God. And if you don't trust in Christ, then you spend an eternity in a place that Jesus describes as hell. A real place for all who reject the gospel. And hell is forever because your sin can never be paid for before an infinitely holy God. But that's what makes the gospel so great. This is what makes grace so amazing is that God loves you and God wants you. And he has made a way through his son, Jesus. It's his kindness that he loves his enemies like us. And instead of judging us as our sins deserve, Jesus stepped in and took the judgment for us. You see, we deserve to be punished, not Jesus. We deserve death, not Jesus. We deserve condemnation, but not not Jesus. But God displays his perfect and permanent love by crushing his son. Paul says in Romans chapter five, verse eight, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you wanna know how much God loves you? Look at the cross. The cross is where God goes on record of his perfect and permanent love for you. And if God did not even spare his best, his one and only son whom he loves, will he not also, verse 32, with him grant us everything. It would be enough if God forgave us. It would be sufficient if God just forgave us of our sins. And he does that, but he does so much more. You see, when you believe the gospel and trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. He seals you until the day of redemption. He comes and takes up permanent residence inside of you when you trust in Christ. God offers to you an eternal home in heaven. He adopts you as a son and as a daughter. He provides for you an inheritance that is both yours now and forever. He gives you a family. It's called the church. He sets you apart and gives you purpose. You see, these are all of the things and so much more that God offers to you and to me when we believe the gospel. And not only that, But through the gospel, we see that Satan and the world can no longer accuse you before God. Verse 33, who can bring an accusation against God's elect? The answer is nobody. How is it possible? Verse 33, 
It's through Christ's death for us. The one who has the right and the authority to condemn us has, look at this, justified us. It's remarkable. That phrase justified, it's a, it's a legal term. It means to have a right standing before a judge. Throughout the gospels and the book of Romans and even in 1 John, we see this picture in which God is the judge and Satan is the accuser. And he accuses us of a long list of sins that all of us are guilty. There's no way we can hide from these accusations. And all it takes is just one to condemn us. But you see, in the gospel, when you trust in Christ, you have an advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's your defense attorney. And he comes before the judge and says, though my client is guilty on these charges, I'm gonna step in and pay the price. And the judge rules based upon the fact that your sins were paid for by someone else. You are free to go. The judge looks at you and says, not guilty. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Our mediator, our go-between, the perfect sacrifice, the one who at the cross made a way for you to stand before God, clean and forgiven, blameless and pure. And though the enemy lobs accusations against you in Christ, those accusations don't stick. You have Christ and his blood speaks a better word than anything that the enemy may throw at you. And so now even Satan cannot bring an accusation against you. Why? Because verse 34, Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and he intercedes for us. That's it. That's the gospel. The death of Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse three, I have passed on to you of the greatest importance that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. And on the third day, he was raised in accordance with the scriptures. Paul's saying, listen, there's nothing more important than this right here. Grab hold of this. It's the gospel. It's what Christ has done through his death. Through him going to the cross, he made a way so that through him, you can be restored back into a right relationship with God. You can be forgiven of all of your sins. You can have a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus. But he wasn't just crucified on Good Friday, but he was put in a tomb and there he stayed for three days. But on the third day, he got up out that grave Jesus defeated death and so too will all who trust in him. This is the gospel that God has provided for you. When I was in high school, my dad loved to embarrass me in front of all of my friends. I remember playing in a, a soccer tournament and I had a, a pretty good game, had a chance to score a goal. And after I scored... My dad yelled out loud enough for the entire stadium to hear, that's 
my boy. Now, I was embarrassed, but deep down, it felt good because I knew who loved me and I knew who I belonged to. Beloved, can I say to you, if you're in Christ, God is not mad at you. He doesn't come home angry, kicking chairs, screaming, vomiting his disappointment in you. No, he looks upon you with his tender heart and he smiles and he says, that's my boy. That's my girl. You see, through the gospel in Christ, God is for you. He's for you and he loves you and he displays his perfect and permanent love. The second truth that we see here in the text is not only God for you, but we see that in Christ, God is with you. He's with you. Look at the text, Romans 8, verse 35. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We're counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not only is God for us, but God is with us. In verse 35, Paul lists out seven excuses that believers might come up with for why we might think that God has stopped loving us. It's as if Paul here is squashing any preconceived idea that if bad things happen to us as believers, we might interpret it as if God doesn't love us anymore. And so to throw out the, the worst case scenarios here, he starts coming up with all these ways that we might think Jesus has stopped loving us. He mentions verse 35, affliction. Okay, trials and, and situations of adversity that we face in this life. Nope, that doesn't stop God from loving you and he is still with you. He then mentions distress. Talk about temptation and moments in which we're not sure if we can even hang on much longer. No, nope. Jesus still loves you and he is with you. He mentions persecution where people are rising up against you at your workplace, at school, in our community. When you're passionate for Jesus and people start speaking ill against you, when people start working against you. No, he still loves you and he's with you. Even in famine, nakedness, danger. No, no, no. Jesus still loves you and he is still with you. Even in, with a sword. Someone pulls out a nine millimeter, puts it in your face. I will be with you, even to the end of the age. We do not fear because we have Christ. And he says, not even that can separate you from my love. But what if I'm diagnosed with cancer? What if I'm diagnosed with a coronavirus? No, I love you and I will be with you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord.
You see, you cannot interpret pain and suffering in your life as a believer as if God has abandoned you. But rather the opposite is true. Persecution, suffering, and pain is normal for believers. In verse 22, Paul quotes Psalm 44, 22. And this is the type of treatment that God's people have experienced throughout the ages. May I say to you, the prosperity, the comfort, the wealth, the ease of life that we have experienced as followers of Jesus here in the West, this is not normal. And while I'm grateful for the favor that God has bestowed upon us, we have a tendency to think that luxury and security are the way that it's always been and the way that it will always be. But it's not. But even in the suffering, even in the hunger, even in the nakedness, even in the persecution and weapons raised against us, Paul declares, verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We don't just endure trials. We don't just survive through suffering. We experience victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can face trials that come our way with confidence in the gospel, knowing that all things work together for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And that these sufferings at this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's about to be revealed to us. And this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that's beyond all comparison. It was in 1977 that Pastor Joseph Son was serving in communist Romania. He continued to preach the gospel and it brought upon him imprisonment and beatings. One time an interrogator got in his face and screamed, don't you realize I have the power to kill you. And Pastor Joseph looked back at him and responded, don't you know I have the power to die? If God is for us, who can be against us? You see, in the gospel, God has made a way that no matter what you face, persecution, famine, suffering, nakedness, even a sword, I will be with you and nothing can separate you from my love found in my son. And then to spike the football in verses 38 and 39, Paul gives 10 different ways that God proves his perfect love. He says, for I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hear me on this. God loves you so much that he prevents anything and everything from coming between you and him. Nothing can separate you from God's love that he has made available for you in the gospel. 
And the gospel is what God offers to you this morning. And this morning, for some of you who are engaging with us, you've not put your faith in Jesus yet. But can I say to you, today is the day. Now is the time to give your life to Christ. If there's anything that this virus has done is that it has reminded us that our life is temporary. We are here today and we are gone tomorrow. We are not promised another breath. So why would you wait? This morning, turn from your sin and trust in Christ. Believe the gospel that God sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. That he gladly, out of love, gave his life for you. He made a way so that through him you can be forgiven forever. And the Bible says he was placed in a tomb, but he was only there for three days. For he rose again victorious over death, proving that he is the conquering king who will one day come back and call us to himself. The gospel is yours. This morning, turn away from your sin. See, I'm not going my way anymore. I'm not going sin. I'm not going for self. I'm now turning away from my old life and I'm ready to believe upon Jesus. I'm ready to surrender my life to him. And if this morning you're ready to believe the gospel, I wanna invite you to respond right here and right now. Wherever you're watching this, whether it's at home in your living room or in the kitchen and living room, I'm gonna ask everyone just right where you are just to be still. And I wanna invite you to bow your head and close your eyes with me. And if you're ready to trust in Jesus Christ, if you're ready to become a Christian, here's what I wanna invite you to do. I want you to cry out from your heart, God, save me. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. This prayer is your way to call on the name of the Lord. Just right now where you are, in your heart, Say, God, I am a sinner. I have sinned against you. I'm sorry for all of my sin and all of my selfishness. I now turn away from my old life and I'm now trusting in Jesus. I believe he died on the cross for me. I believe he rose from the dead on the third day for me. I now give you my heart. I give you my life. I'm now following you from this day forward. to receive Christ that's the most important decision you'll ever make and what I want to invite you to do this morning is to completely surrender your life to him the Bible says for all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved and if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation old things have passed away behold all things are now brand new If you trusted in Christ today, you're a new creation.
that is worth celebrating. Maybe for those of you who have already believed the gospel, it has been good to be reminded once again that the gospel is true and the tomb is empty. And you can have reason for hope and joy and purpose. Maybe for some of you, there are areas of your life in which you say, Lord, I want to bring this to you. Can I just invite you just right where you are, right where you're watching, right where you're engaging with us, would you just posture your heart low in a posture of prayer? Say, Lord, here's my heart. Lord, here's my life. The praise team is going to sing over us now. Take this time to pray, to seek the Lord. You may want to get in a circle as a family and just pray for one another. Dads, let me encourage you, step up and pray out loud for your kids and for your family. You all just may want to get on your knees as a family and just say, God, here is my heart, here is my life. I'm yours. Take me. Use me. This is your time. You respond to the leading 